Today's episode of The Doctor's Companion is brought to you by InStockTrades.com and DCBService.com. another episode of the doctor's companion i'm scott corelli and i'm matt smith but not that matt smith and we're from mindrobber.net the home side of mindrobber productions where we talk about all of the things on podcasts uh like this one where we talk about doctor who or our other podcast our flagship podcast the mind robbers where we talk about everything else uh, and if you like our shows, you should review them on iTunes. Uh, big thanks to Blue Dalek, who, who gave us our latest review. Uh, very kind. Very nice. Thank you very much. And uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, Not San Diego, who gave us a nice review, which was really cool. I oh, like that. Okay. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I just checked, so now I know. <laughs> oh. Lovely reviews. Thank you both. Yes. Thank you both. Um, so, so keep those coming guys. Uh, and if you have any questions, comments, concerns, uh, you can email those to podcast at mindrobber.net. Uh, or if you want to start a discussion, then I recommend that you go to the comments section on the website, mindrobber.net. Uh, leave your, uh, leave your comments there and then we will, uh, respond and a discussion shall be started. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, today we're talking about Planet of the Ood. Uh, which is a 10th Doctor story from the fourth series of New Who. Um, what what kind of background and significance we have for this? Uh, well, a couple things. Uh, I think the thing that's most interesting is that this was the first episode shot for the fourth series, um, not counting the Christmas special. This was, um, this was the thing that went in front of the cameras first, um, which means that it's technically like – it's like watching Fort of Doomsday. It's the first time that you get to see – uh, the Doctor and Donna acting as regular companions together. Um, or it's the first time that they did that. Uh, you wouldn't know that. Their chemistry is amazing. Um, but it's also, let's see, it's the return of the Ood, who previously featured in Impossible Planet, the Satan Pit. Uh, Davies kind of wanted to do a two-parter and then realized, no, let's not do a two-parter. Let's save the two-parter for other things that we can do. Mm-hmm. And then um, uh, written by Keith Temple, this is his first, and I think it's his only Doctor Who script. I don't think he's come back, really. Uh, and it's also the return of director Graham Harper, who I think is the best Doctor Who director of all time. Um, and he directed, and so he directed this. Uh, not really much to say. Not really much to say. It was just like, I don't know. Is that a plan of the Ood? It's one of those, it's one of those stories that is forgotten amidst the rest of the goodness of the season. Um, just in general. So that's the really just where it goes from all right all right <laughs> yeah um all right so uh before we start talking about it in uh, any sort of detail uh, i want to remind you that today's episode is brought to you by instocktrades.com where you can purchase our book of the month criminal deluxe edition volume one by ed Brubaker and sean phillips it's available for 27.49 which happens to be 45 percent off the suggested retail price of 49.99 and remember all orders over 50 dollars get free shipping so thanks to instocktrades.com and tune into our discussion of criminal the deluxe edition volume one 
on uh, a future episode of the Mind Robbers near the end of the month. Yeah, because that's where we do that. In case you are wondering, <laughs> well, we we don't we don't just choose a book of the month and then never talk about it. We're just like, nah, this book's good. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so uh, Planet of the Ood, a um, couple of things that I, I, I noticed. One, uh, I think I like this episode a lot more than I thought I remembered liking it. Um, yes. Uh, and two, uh, I love David Tennant. And I miss him so, so much. <laughs> yes. Um, also, this is the first Donna story that I have watched post uh, – uh, post the office now because <laughs> now she's on the office and um, Catherine Tate that is not not Donna Noble um, <laughs> Catherine Tate is on uh, on the office now and so this is the first post office Donna Noble episode I've watched and it's um gotta be honest it's a little weird now it's a little weird <laughs> <laughs> that's really funny <laughs> it's a little yes. weird See, I stopped watching The Office, so I can't speak to that. Yes, uh, but I can, and it's weird. Uh, also, while this is written by Keith Temple, um, yeah, I really can't imagine that this wasn't uh, almost a page one rewrite from Russell T. Davies because <laughs> this just has him all over it, I feel. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Without a doubt. Yeah. But that's, I mean, that's the hallmark of the Davies era is that every story is technically a Davies story except for the Moffat ones. Um, he heavily rewrote everything and it shows and it makes everything feel consistent. I think is a good word to use. Yeah. Um, no, I, I really like this story and I remember the first time I watched it, I was like, I was like, I was like, yeah, it was pretty good. And I think that's honestly one of the weaker episodes of the season, like easily weaker. Um, probably the weakest of the season. Cause I think I like, Doctor's daughter slightly more, mostly because of Georgia Moffat. Um, but, but it's really it's kinetic, it's exciting, it's ridiculously well shot as Graham Harper tends to do. the The shot of the Doctor running from the crane that's a it's basically like a Steadicam Dutch angle is ridiculous. Like it's just a ridiculous shot, mm-hmm. and I. I, I love it. I love the way that he f- composes things. I love the way that he paces things. It kind of just it just keeps moving. It's never really boring, and it's very um, it's just really exciting. It's just a really exciting, fun story and a great return for the Ood that does something new mm-hmm. with them. Um, <laughs> it makes me it makes me wonder how much mileage you can actually get out of the Ood because I don't <laughs> I don't think it's very much. <laughs> Yeah, I I don't know, but I I like that they brought him back for like a, a focused episode. Yes, agreed. Um, um, and now we're done. Now they can just have you know uh, cameos. They can just pop yeah, ca- pop up cameos every once in a while. Yeah, I, I agree. It's just funny comparing this to something like um, Time of Angels, Flesh and Stone, where Moffat does something really new and interesting with the angels. <laughs> And seeing that they do something new and interesting with with the Ood, I mean, uh, I guess I'm just I'm mostly thinking about Red Eyes than I am about the brain stuff, the stuff about Ood mythology. Um, But it's interesting that um, it's interesting to see just how much like there's only so much you can do with them. (laughs) Like They have a very they have a very low ceiling, I suppose. Um, It's not like there's going to be an evil of the Ood or something, you know, like an evil of the Daleks version of the of an Ood story. (laughs) Although, uh, sounds like a challenge. Sounds like a challenge. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, yeah, no, when, I, I, I just, I, uh, this, I don't know. I see, I disagree. I don't think this is easily the weakest. I, I think it's far from easily the weakest. Um, I like this better than, uh, I like this better than the Centauran two-parter, the doctor's daughter and unicorn and the wasp. So, wow. Yeah. See, I like, I like, I like all of those more than I like this, but then again, that I think, I to... don't think, I don't think you like doctor's daughter more than this i think you're romanticizing it again when we revisited it you were like this really wasn't that good (laughs) and i but but you're like and every time i don't watch it for a while i end up romanticizing it and thinking it's better than it is but it's really not that good and here you are that episode did you listen to that episode before we did this how dare you out me the past is erasable (laughs) the past is rewritable uh, trust fine. me th- trust fine. me this is better than the doctor's daughter <laughs> fine 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 it's, it's better fine it's better than the doctor's daughter um uh, it's just it's just funny because it's one of those things where it's like everything before blink in season three pales in comparison to what comes blinking after in season three and this is this season is just the same because when your back half after unicorn and the wasp is like midnight turn left Silence in the Library and uh, Journey's End, like it's just insane. Like it's just it's just completely insane. And this like this just happens to be in the first half. Like it's perfectly it's perfectly good. It's wonderful. It's enjoyable. It's got great twists. I love the I love the hair tonic oud solution. Even though I'm pretty sure genetically that wouldn't work. Uh, <laughs> that's pretty intense. It's the future. Man. It's the future. Oh, right. The second great and bountiful human empire when we could just randomly switch species after a lot of drinking. Um, mm-hmm. And shedding their <laughs> skin. Shedding their skin. Oh, man. I love that he has been. In, he was basically an ood for the whole episode. It's not like he just grew that ood head. Like, he was an ood for the whole episode. <laughs> it just didn't manifest himself. And then he's just like, oh, right, I'm going to pull apart my head because I realize what I am. Like, mm-hmm. it's just so It's so. And then he bizarre. hacks up a brain. Which is great. The the horror of that sequence is so phenomenal. There's nothing like watching the tentacles like just droop from his mouth. Like it's so gross. It's it's not quite as gross as uh as as rabid ood tentacles. Oh yeah, no, those are those with, are nasty. With the foam. I don't want yeah, I don't want I don't want look, ood can go rabid. I just don't want juice. You know what I'm saying? I don't want ood juice. <laughs> and it's all over just me. like flying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so gross. Yeah. Um uh, no, it's 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 really it's really 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 enjoyable. But like, I mean, it, 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 it's one of those stories that it's just the forgettable story of the season. Like there's always that story that's forgettable completely. This is that story of this season because it's not I mean, it's not I bad, mean, it's certainly not the best. Not for um, me. It's just It's well, I mean, it's Unicorn, Unicorn and the Wasp is the forgettable story of this season for me. Yeah, I'm I'm so excited to watch that again and to see if you can enjoy that story because I actually really enjoy that story. Just as a pure, delightful comedy. Like, it's just a delightful sort of mm. weekend. It's, it's not that far off from Black Orchid, my friend. I'll be honest. <laughs> it's not that far off from Black Orchid. Eh. <laughs> it just happens to be a giant wasp in the middle of it. Which is enough for me to hate it whatever oh you're not a wasp fan no i'm not a wasp fan are you kidding me i have a phobia (laughs) that reminds that 
reminds me of uh, this time I was walking. Did I tell you about my the wasp story that happened in my house like last year? No, it was terrifying. It was maybe about six months ago. I was walking home and or I was walking out and I walk out the back door because um, that leads to the street where my car is parked at home. Uh, random tangents. This is a taste of the mind robbers. Um, uh, <laughs> and uh, I was I was walking outside and I just walk out and I just see this like wasp or hornet just lazily floating by where my head would be. And I was like, ah, that's weird. And so I kind of left and then looked back and it was gone. And I was like, ah, it's kind of weird. And then about a week later it happened again. And I was like, that's also weird. Why is it just hanging out around there? And then I was coming home from one day and I had like, I had like, I don't know, milkshakes or something. And I put, and I was like fumbling for my keys and I put one down and I saw the wasp and I was just looking at it while I was going for my key. And then I saw it, crawled right into the electric box that's right by the kitchen door and i was like oh that's messed up because <laughs> it was because like, it was like oh my god we're infested like we're infested and there's a whole bunch of wasps and so i i, I t- emailed my landlord and i was like uh we might be infested with a wasp nest in the electric box um <laughs> i don't know why just, i'm talking like this i'm a little scared <laughs> um <laughs> But yeah, so that that happened. Yeah, and I was that is um that is my nightmare. That yeah, it's that would be my waking nightmare. Yeah, it's it was pretty messed up. It was pretty pretty messed up. Um, and then when we went to look, there was nothing in there, which is even more terrifying because Mm. there now is no answer. It was like the colony at Roanoke. Like it was just like (laughs) ah, it was like Roanoke. Anyways, no, this uh, this is good. And I mean, I love the I love the way it plays out. The mystery. The Yeah, let's just go back into uh, the mystery, the the way that uh, they paint the picture of the future society. I love – I don't know. I love Russell T. Davies' vision of the future. And if you compare it to something like uh, – I hate doing this again. But you compare it to the Moffat vision of the future, <laughs> which is like – I mean, the Moffat era is very glossy. It's very – uh, sleek and sci-fi like this has actual like shipping crates which i really like i love i love science fiction that is grounded in our reality does it mean that they had no budget probably do i care not really um because it's more believable like the shipping crates there's there have been no uh additions to shipping crates in about 2000 years apparently um which just goes to show you if it ain't broke don't fix it um and like I don't know, just the line where he's looking at the astronomy chart and he says, the second great and bountiful human empire. Like, does Russell T. Davies have a vision of the future mapped out? No. Do I care? No. Because he does such a good job of painting a picture. Like, where we are in time and space that, you know, it it kind of doesn't... It's just awesome to me. Mm -hmm. And compare it to, like, the Moffat stuff where it's like... The closest he ever kind of came was... um, uh, Time of Angels when he's talking about the clerics and the vision of the future where the church is taken over. Um, every other time that they go to the future, there is no context to it. And I love that Davies is constantly providing a glimmer of context for the future. I don't need a whole picture, but what Davies does is he just does a broad stroke and gives me something to play with in my imagination while they're force-feeding me exposition um, <laughs> about slave labor. And... um I, I don't know. I, I miss that. Like, I miss that sort of contextualization that is in the Davies era. It's just one of my um, it's just one of my favorite things that really is so hallmarky Doctor Who to me. So I just wanted to point that one out. Mm-hmm. No, and I like it, too, because it's funny watching this and comparing it uh, to Earthshock. Uh, 
because they're two very distinctive visions of the future. It's like, it's like one is, oh, it's, you know, it's business as usual for the humans. Like they're, they're running a slave business. They wear suits and ties. And, and then Eric Sayward is like, no, everyone's in the military. Space Marines and freighter captains. <laughs> That's it. That's all the future holds. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, I think that's funny. I don't know. Yeah, and I and I like this one more. There's more humanity in it. Right. Exactly. More, yeah. Yeah. And it's I don't know. It's just like one of those things where it's like one of the things that drew me into Doctor Who initially, and that's why and why I still think End of the World is criminally underrated is because. Davies' vision of the future is so specific and so specific to him. And it's one of those things that really just inspired me. It was like, I remember starting to watch Doctor Who. And just before I started, I got to End of the World, I was like, so are they just going to go to the future and just hang out in the future? Because how would they do that? Because I can't imagine them being like, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm always tentative to project what's going to happen in the future. And when they got to End of the World, I was like, oh, that's how you do it. Like, that's how you do it. Like, you don't have to make it a big deal. You just, like do a broad stroke and tell a human story. Like that's kind of the solution. Uh, it's a lot harder than I'm making it sound, <laughs> but it, but like, that's the way it goes. And Planet of the Ood is straight directly out of that vein. New earth and gridlock are also directly out of that vein where mm-hmm. he's just imagining a future, but not concerned with it. And I find that those science fiction stories are always the ones that are more interesting to me. I don't, I don't find myself interested in, uh, the history of the future. I find myself interested in a moment in the future that we set a story in. Um, mm-hmm. And that is why I really like this. And I love the bureaucracy. I love the part where the guy's like, oh, they come in red now. Like, who <laughs> <laughs> just, who just murders him like yeah. in cold blood. <laughs> or the part where she's like, it's a, it's a daily fire drill happens every day. I'm like, in what world do you need a daily fire drill? Like, <laughs> <laughs> that is a red flag. I mean, can you imagine if at school you had a daily fire drill? We'd never I mean, get anything done. No, no, it'd be great. It'd be, it'd be like be second great. recess. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know how many how many fire drills you did in grade school? Two. Max. Max. You went one time and everyone was like, yeah, you got this. And then it was over. Like, yeah. <laughs> you don't need daily drills. And she's just like trying to hold it together. You're like, oh, that's precious. <laughs> She's like, and her response is like, it's a daily fire drill. Nothing to worry about. Don't go anywhere. It's like, okay, that is not how fire drills work. That is <laughs> that is not how fire drills work. If I hear fire drill, I was like, you know what? What if it's not a drill? Let's just go anyways. Let's see what happens. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. And Graham Harper is wonderful. Mm-hmm. He's wonderful. Mm-hmm. I, uh, every time I can't, I just, I... He needs to come direct some Moffat era stuff. He needs to. I don't even know what that would look like. I want to see it though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. Without a doubt. He's so good. He's so good. I. Uh, I also. This is a perfect example of um, uh, the end of this. Is like a perfect example of Russell T Davies uh, hinting at a grander prophecy and mythology. Uh, versus what, uh, what, what Moffat does. <laughs> yes. Like, he's just like, you know, it's just like, yeah, your song is going to end. And then the whole Dr. Donna thing. Mm-hmm. And it's like, man, you're, you're, he, it's weird. Cause he's not subtle at all. Mm-hmm. He's just saying the things that are going to happen later. 
But mm-hmm. uh, but he does it in such a way that it's like you don't know what he's talking about at the time. So it sounds subtle, even though it's really not. Mm-hmm. Well, like even watching it now, like I think you're, you're right. The thing that really strikes me is like because the first time you watch this, you're just like. The doctor's song is going to end. No, what are you talking about? But at the same, but like, but like, w- once you get once you get later, you understand that the Uter prophesizing the events of Journey's End, and they're saying that the uh, Donna will be will not be forgotten, even though Donna will forget. Like, and and the Doctor Donna. Uh, the things that strike me about this are are two. I, I can think of two things that really strike me. W- one, it is. It is. It, I think it is subtle. The the your song is ending is not subtle, but it's it's almost allowed because it's just like oh BT dubs. Um, but the the Doctor Donna stuff is really subtle, and the you will not be forgotten is ridiculously subtle. A B. The but fact- well, but no, it's not though. It's only subtle because you don't know what's coming. Like when once you know what's coming, you're just like you're just like oh you're just you're just kind of saying it. Yeah. You're just oh, yeah. you're just kind of saying what happens, and but mm-hmm. but at the time when you're watching it the first time, you're just like, oh, what are they talking about? Or you don't even realize they're talking about anything. The, the, the you only don't, you don't yeah you yeah. don't at all. The only prophecy that you know is the doctor's song is going to end, and you're like, oh, well, mm-hmm. I know what that means. Yeah, and, and and you're and you're right because because it's like we will sing of the doctor Donna and we will remember you forever. It's like. It's a little melodramatic, but all right, fair enough. That sounds like classic Doctor Who. And then when you get past Journey's End, you're like, oh, God, that was really depressing. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, and and technically speaking, uh, your song is going to end is still just it's not even it's not even a prophecy. You could see it as a prophecy, but it literally means they're going to sing to you until you die. (laughs) (laughs) you know what i mean like it's still it's still they're just saying facts Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and 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 he he just writes the facts in a way that they could be depicted as some sort of vague prophecy yes but it's actually not vague at all which is which is russell t davies style and i like that yeah but here's the other crazy thing about this that kind of drove me like not drove me crazy but just kind of blew my mind when I realized it because I'd forgotten about the prophecy until we got there in the story and then I remember that like right beforehand I read up on the background of this this was the first episode they shot so this was written first so when Davies wrote that Davies knew where he was going with the Doctor and Donna. I mean, and I know that's not a surprise if you if you look at the writer's tale, but like it's interesting because season four is easily the most subtle in terms of myth arc of the ser- of the of the of the yeah. run so far. Because he had he had to make it that way because by that point everyone was looking for hints. Yes, yes. Um, which and, is I mean, which we- is great because it makes the your song is about to end thing. He, he he it was it was a uh, it was a uh, what what am I thinking of a uh, shrewd move no 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 a uh, misdirect misdirect there you go it's a misdirect it's the thing that everybody if you remember I don't did you watch series four as it aired no no, no okay. I didn't see anything as it aired until Waters of Mars okay I think so I watched series four as it aired and that was the thing that everyone was clamoring to so like everyone was looking for. The next, like, thing, you know, like you had mm-hmm. Bad Wolf in series one, you had uh, the, uh, the, uh, Saxon. They, no, well, no, 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 uh, Torchwood in season two. Oh, Torchwood, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Torchwood in series two, Saxon in series three. 
And so everyone, and he, he he successfully tricked everybody all three seasons. But but just like M Night Shyamalan, like everyone was just like, okay, now we know what he does. So we got to look for everything. We got to dissect everything. So he literally put that in as a misdirect. And you get to the end of series four, and you're like, wow, that was a total misdirect. Nope. <laughs> it was a misdirect for a thing that was going to happen just later. Yeah. Oh, just, so it's just, perfect. It's brilliant. And like, and that's the thing is like, not only that, like if you look at it, it is a, like, it is a weird moment, but like, because everyone's going to glom onto the David Tennant's going away rather than the Dr. Donna prophecy. Like mm-hmm. it, it, it misdirects per, for that too, because when you get to stolen earth, you're like, Oh snap. Right. You know, like no, exactly. Yeah. exactly. And that's brilliant. Yeah. And that's brilliant. And I love that. Like, I love, uh, the subtlety of season four is amazing. Like the subtlety is is so brilliant because it's not even that. I mean, we talked about it in Fires of Pompeii, but the there is something on your back thing. I didn't uh-huh. get that the first time. When I watched it the second time, I lost my brain. I was like, "What the hell?" Like, <laughs> I did not. I did not know. And I love that. I love that the focus has shifted. The focus really shifts. Like in the first one, Bad Wolf is all over the place. And the second one, Torchwood is all over the place. And the third one, he kind of um, spreads it out and, and says, and Saxon is actually very, very subtle all through that season. Like if you like even watching it again, you'll miss it. But the thing about Davies is that he actually comes at it from four, like from a bunch of different perspectives. There's what's going on with Donna. There's what's going on with Rose and what's going on with the doctor. And like, he kind of just brings them all together at the end, which is, remarkable mm-hmm. like just really 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 remarkable and it just makes me respect like the plan especially because he wasn't really planning anything <laughs> like the guy had vague ideas of where he was going but the guy didn't write outlines the guy didn't like the guy was kind of just acting on his own and just like yeah let's do this which is insane mm-hmm. like that is the mark of a true genius that is the mark of a true genius um other people you know would have could have should have written it down river song um and <laughs> <laughs> But but yeah no this is this is this is wonderful and it just like honestly and I think I I think I tweeted this while I was watching it but watching this just made me want to start from Rose and go all the way through end of time again like I was just like ah transported to why I love this show like why I love this show completely yeah without a so doubt. yeah I clearly hate Doctor Who let's yeah <laughs> let's move on yeah uh yeah but well before we do I want to remind everybody that today's episode is brought to you by DCBService.com. DCBS is the site that lets you order all your monthly comic book statues, action figures, basically anything that you can order out of a Diamonds catalog. Uh, you can pre-order from DCBService.com at nice discounts um, because you pre-order your stuff and uh, you get monthly discount specials up to 75% off, regular discounts of 40% off, uh, ship as often as you like with orders as large or small as you like, and you only pay six ninety five from flat rate shipping. So thanks to DCBService.com. All right, so our Series 5 revisit episode this week is Amy's Choice. Uh, I'm not going to lie. Um, I actually liked this a lot less than I remembered. Huh. Because um, I had a similar reaction. But my response is more like, I still really like this story. A lot, but I think that there's certain aspects of it that are, uh, shall we say, less than subtle. I think. Yeah. <laughs> Which, well, my I think my problem is, um, 
I, yeah, my biggest problem with with this is like it's all about choosing uh, Amy cho- needing to choose Roy over the Doctor, uh, but uh, the the writer uh, uh, Simon Nye figured out like I don't like figured out how to kind of have let her have her cake and eat it making it so that she never had to make a choice Mm. which kind of uh i don't know there's no repercussions to this like uh it's like you know you kill rory off so then well she doesn't want to stay there because now like now like now there is no choice now she only has the doctor so She's going to choose the other world, and then so she chooses the other world, and she's like, oh, now I get the Doctor and Rory, just like we had before this. Like, (laughs) it's just – there's just nothing – and then – I don't know. I just – I feel like for an episode that was all about Amy making a choice, she didn't actually make a choice. See, I don't agree with that though because I think that like – I think that the the point of the story is that – Yes, she chose the world where she had the Doctor and Rory, um, but the point is not that she chose the Doctor and Rory. The point is that she chose the world in which Rory still existed, um, and that's like that's like my reading of the episode. But, and I- yes, but that there's only one world with that with that out like that outcome. Like I just what I'm saying is he took the choice away. Rory was in both worlds, so you can't say that she chose the one that Rory was in. She she just she chose the one where she could have her cake and eat it. Like I, I it's not even it wasn't even a choice at that point. Like she didn't make a choice. I guess. But I think that I think then the question would be you'd almost have to you'd almost have to replay this episode and then say Amy loses the doctor. And what happens if Amy loses the doctor? Like it almost needs to be like <laughs> What would have been really messed up is somehow if there was like the doctor can't stand extreme cold temperatures and dies in the TARDIS and and Rory dies in the real world. In the, See, in the and then that's a world. choice again, and then yeah. that is important. Yeah, that I think that, that suddenly makes this this episode so much more dramatic. Yeah, uh, but instead, you know, we have a a story. You know, we have two choices where the doctor's alive in both, and Rory's only alive in one. Well, that's not really a choice, is it? Nah, it's not, but it gets her I mean it uh, it gets her to an interesting place of um deciding that she doesn't want to live without Rory. And I think that that's a major turning point for the character and I think that's a that's a really good place for her to be. But I I assume what you mean like I think it's one of those things where it's just like and this is I mean this is again going to get us in trouble, but it's just like you want the best it could possibly be. Like you want the best possible option and the idea that um and the and and making her actually choose both like where where both options are where it's like a it's like a lion or the tiger situation like either way she's screwed picking the lesser of the two evils is easily the better solution mm-hmm. um cuz the point is cuz i guess the point that i'm trying to make is at the end of the day when the episode is over they were both dreams so she was going to get to have her cake and eat it anyway yeah. But the point is that you have to make her choose. So if there's no stakes in the dreams anyway, then you might as well kill one in one world and kill the other in the other world and actually make her choose. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think I, I agree. I think that that is, um, that is a, that is a much more interesting solution and a better solution. Um, 
Especially, I don't know, if the doctor doesn't wake up or something. Yeah, I agree. Um, that said, I think that there's a lot to like about it, and it's easily the most underrated of its season. Um, in terms of season five, anyways. Uh, you're going to argue it's Beast Below, but I'm going to argue it's this one, honestly, because I like... I don't know. I really, st- I still really like this story. I think that it's an interesting character piece. It's very small, which I mean, I do like that it's small. And I, I uh, like I said, it's mostly the. It's just that the third act of this that I have a problem with. Sure, sure. Everything before that is fine. Yeah, um, re- it's really, really just the third act. Yeah, really, really great. Like I was watching this and just like I was just really struck by the simplicity of the teaser. Like uh, the teaser itself is so wonderful because. It's like um, it's like source code, like the movie source code, where, where where the thing about that movie is like you start with a guy on a train, the train blows up, the guy wakes up in a metal in a metal pod, and then he jumps back into the train, and that all happens, and then he's back in the metal pod, and that's the first like twelve pages of that script. Like it's insane, like it's ridiculously insane. What I love about this is like you start in Ledworth, and then you go to the TARDIS, and then you go back to Ledworth, and then I think you go back to the TARDIS, and then you're back in Ledworth. Like, the amount of jumps before they get to the teaser is the best use of the Moffat racing through story that I think I've ever seen. Like, mm-hmm. it's so it's so remarkable, and it's so one of those things where it's like, I don't know, when when the Doctor's like, we're going to have to choose, or we're, this is, we better watch our step, this is going to be tricky. Like, and he just gives that little smile of I'm so excited right now. Mm-hmm. I was like, I was like, yeah, like let's do this one because <laughs> I've been really looking forward to this story again. Like I think more than uh, just about every episode that in series five, other than maybe Pandorica, I, this is the one that I've kind of been looking forward to the most. So when he does that little smile and it just crashes into the opening credits, I was just like. Oh, it was like coming home again. It was just like, oh, this is so good. And it's so small. And it's like, (laughs) clearly they've run out of money. (laughs) (laughs) Because this was like the second to last thing they shot. They shot this in the lodger after Pandorica because Moffat had completely just destroyed the budget by this point. (laughs) (laughs) So it's just, oh, God, it makes me laugh. But this, I I mean, it's just just like the way that it's basically just a three-hander and then the Dream Lord for the first, what? 12 minutes is amazing like really amazing and mm-hmm. i love i oh god i love the scope i wish that Mo, the moffat era had kept to this level of like or would do this level of scope every so often very rarely now yeah well i mean like even look at look okay look at the smallest episode in series f- six the smallest episode in series six was um Closing time, right? Mm-hmm. Even then, and I don't begrudge this decision because I do, I, I, because I really don't mind the Cybermen in it. But the, but you throw the Cybermen into that story, and that story is instantly a much bigger story. Um, mm-hmm. uh, compare it to the Lodger, which we're going to talk about in a couple weeks. Like the Lodger is a remarkably small story, the whole way through. Even though there's a big silence TARDIS aspect to it, it, it stays very very constrained in its scope and i love that about this one this one never gets any bigger than it is in the first five minutes ever um and i oh god i can't i can't get enough of that like the the restraint is remarkable yeah yeah no i i i I do yeah you're right i do i like that a lot about it um like i said for me it's just the third act that's 
That's my big. I, I I don't have a problem with the themes of this. I don't have a problem with the story they're trying to tell. It's strictly the 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 third act solution of 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 paying off everything that I'm not crazy about. Sure, and that does leave a kind of sour <clears throat> taste in your mouth at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, also, kill. Also, uh, slightly related, and we'll talk about this more next week. But. Uh, Killing Rory and the doctor would have also been an easy solution to uh, the problem of, oh, Rory dies in this one. And then it sort of takes away from him, quote unquote, actually dying in the next story. Yeah. You know, but if you killed the doctor, too, then I feel like maybe you wouldn't have noticed as much. I don't think you would have, especially because, like, this is one of those stories that. Uh, that defies the notion of dream sequences or bogus crap. Um, and to be fair, dream sequences are bogus crap. The thing about dream sequences is like you can wake up from the end of them and just be like, oh, it's all a dream. There's no, there's no stakes. We didn't learn anything. What I love about this is that it is based on we learned something. Um, yes. it's, uh, it, it, you can watch this and basically be like, nothing in this episode was real except for the last minute. It's like, yeah. Except but the, for the emotion. Yeah, and which is what matters. Like, that is the right. thing that matters in stories, and that's the thing that completely 100% saves this episode. Like, mm-hmm. because the whole thing takes place in a dream, because the emotional realism of those things is really real, and not just for Amy, but also for Rory as well, to a, to a much lesser degree. They're still trying to figure him out. Um, but also to the doctor and the notion that he really scares himself sometimes. All of those things make this a story that matters, that is palpable, that is tangible, that I love about it. Um, and, and, uh, it's, it's just awesome. Like it's it's so it's so awesome, and it's so clever, and it's so well directed. It's so well edited. I love the transitions, like because they're so jarring. Watch going from Ledworth to the TARDIS is such a it's such a jarring shift, and I love Simon Knight for doing this episode. I love him for the idea. I love for the execution. Like it's. Aside from that third act, I think it's it's really hard to point out anything that's at fault at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, it's so it's remarkably perfect, remarkably. Um, uh, let's talk about the Dream Lord because I think he's uh, worth discussing. I suppose. I love him. Yes. Yeah. I want him to come back so bad. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I just. Uh. <laughs> I, but the thing is, like. Because of the way that they set him up uh, and explained him away, like he probably won't come back. I, do you remember? Do you remember the the? Yes, uh, yes, yes. Do, okay, I do. <laughs> the theory that uh, it is the Valiard. Oh no! No, I hadn't heard that theory. Oh yeah, um, no. There's that was the big theory that I heard around this time was that was the that... Dream Lord is a precursor for, to the Valiard. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, because this is the dark side of the Doctor's personality. Right, yeah, and that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, and I just, I remember there was also that theory that uh, that he was, uh, that there was, like, some, like, somehow, like, almost like the Master, like, downloaded into the Doctor's brain. Um, <laughs> like, uh, like, you know, kind of like the Joker in, uh, in uh, the Batman Beyond movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Um, which I also thought was super interesting, but... Oh, yes. Uh, I just... Man. 
I don't. I just what a waste opportunity. Like yeah, yeah. like I understand that. To, like like um Toby uh, uh, Jones. Jones, thank you. Toby Jones probably isn't the easiest guy to get a hold of now. Oh um, God, no. God, he's no. so freaking busy. Yeah, I have. Uh, I have. I'll be honest. I have no idea how the hell Big Finish got him. Like I no, I don't either. I I just imagine he had a free weekend. He's like, uh, do nothing or do something really easy where I read off a script into a microphone for. You know, a couple thousand dollars. I think I'll do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, I, I just I I love him, and I wish they could do another Dream Lord story. But I have a feeling that if you ask Moffat about it, he's like, "What do you mean? Why would I do another one? It's done. We told that story. <laughs> There's nothing else you can do with that." Mm-hmm. And it and 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 I don't think I don't think he's. I mean, I don't think he's wrong about that. I mean, I, I, there is an aspect to him that is right, but at the same time, like, what else can you do with him? You know what I'm saying? Like he did his purpose like if the dream lord ever showed up again like he'd have to like he'd almost have to bring nightmares into reality like that's what right well well, let's cut that part out of the podcast um (laughs) (laughs) i was gonna say what's the antithesis to what he's doing now yeah exactly like they have to do something really 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 clever with him they'd have to do something really new really fresh um something that would really up the stakes because uh, (laughs) despite the fact that i said that this works really well as a dream episode it's also not the sort of thing you can do again. Um, oh, no, done. totally. It's done. You, if you do it again, you're just like, eh, you did this before. Um, the only way you could do it again and and and, and it work uh, is if you made it so that you didn't know that it was the Dream Lord until the very, very, very end of the story. Mm-hmm. And it was like a big reveal, like, oh, the Dream Lord's back. Oh, the story's over. Okay. Like, <laughs> he was behind you, it all. Ah, yeah, which you means know? you couldn't even use Toby Jones for it um, at all. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, right. Which is, the, which is the other bummer, because he has such... He has such pathos. Like, his pathos in this is ridiculous. Like, every time he shows up, it's just like, God, you're such an imp and a weasel, and I love it. And every mm-hmm. time he has a ridiculous costume change, it's amazing. And how the hell... like. The, the the revelation that he is an aspect of the to- of the doctor's personality where he's wearing that bow tie the whole time like every time and it's red like it's not even like a subtle cuddle it's red is such a red flag that i'm just like how did i not see that the first time like it's so it's one of those wonderful like mm-hmm. mystery plots oh and the the idea like when the doctor finally figures out that it's both dreams he's like he's like it's both dreams because he's the dream lord so he can only com- control dreams and since he can control both worlds they <laughs> must be both dreams i was like of course yeah <laughs> i was like how did, how did how was i stupid enough not to figure that out yeah like, yeah oh absolutely oh, absolutely love that love that yeah and it's and it's one of those things where it's like um it, it, where, where I got to the end and I was just like, well, why didn't you figure it out sooner? And it's like, oh, because you don't think properly in a dream. Like, your mm-hmm. thought processes are, are completely screwed all the time. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and, and that makes sense. And it's only with when you're not bouncing from from um, subconscious chaos to subconscious chaos that you're able to put your thoughts together enough to realize that it's um, – that they're both dreams. Like, I, you're right. Because that was something that I noticed too was just like – was just the, the – the, like just – it's so it's so clever like it's so uh-huh. so 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 clever and that's like and that's the thing about this is it's so clever and i love the, <laughs> i love the aliens and i love the old people which is just a brilliant use of extras honestly like because those guys weren't paid um too much <laughs> um <laughs> but it's such a brilliant use of extras like mm-hmm. watching rory whack that old woman is hilarious mm-hmm. um <laughs> also watch- there's something really creepy about an eyeball coming out of your mouth oh uh yes absolutely <laughs> 
really, really messed up because it just makes you kind of want to gag a little bit. Um, just mm-hmm. like, ah. Uh, oh, it's oh, it's so it's so it's so wonderful and clever, and I love the I love the dream logic of it, like <laughs> the the fact that they can get away with just completely insane stuff, like the frozen star and the the old people terrorizing a community. Um, uh, it's awesome, it's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, if I have one complaint, and this is like a minor quibble, um, and it's mostly because I feel like they could have used this time a little better but i don't i know that the doctor's a good person i don't need him to save the cat which he does with those kids like <laughs> he like it's a dream like it's a dream throw like the doctor doesn't even believe that it's reality and, I, and it's like it's like see the doctor's a good person he puts all the kids in his little van and he puts them in the church and tells them to hole up and be safe it's like i don't care That's it's a not- waste of time and it's more interesting if the if ledworth is completely empty Oh, it's way more interesting. And but I guess, but but I guess that's ultimately like, I think the reason why it's there is like Moffat was probably he probably his probably one note on this story was you have to have the doctor save some people because if there's no people in the town, nobody will believe it's real. Yeah, and so then they threw that one scene in. I guarantee you, that's what that was. Mm-hmm. But I think that like the thing about it is um. Uh, and I mean, this—it's a small criticism, and I don't. And it's—it's it's not like that ruins the story for me. Um, I'll just preface it by saying that. But there yeah. is like watching the Doctor Amy and Rory walk through empty Ledworth at the beginning is really scary. It's really bizarre, and it's very dreamlike in its conception. The idea that you know dreams. When when I dream, and I uh, personal when I dream, I always like I I only see what I'm looking at. Um, and it's very like, you know, it always feel images always feel blurred. They don't feel completely fully actualized and realized the mm-hmm. idea that they're walking through an empty Ledworth is totally dreamlike in its construction. The idea that they're not constructing these people to rescue, um, is really, really interesting to me. And they're just running from people and it's just an empty town. Like there's a horror to that, that I really like. There's a, there's a thriller and, uh, and, uh, just a cr- creepy dream aspect to that, that I, find myself really liking and I just wish that he hadn't saved the cat. Like I just wish that he hadn't. It was just a, it's just a ridiculous moment that you don't need, the, which is my point. Um, <laughs> Cause it's just, it's just stupid. It's just stupid. Anyways. Yeah. yeah. Well. But it's still, I mean, it's still really good. Like it's still a really wonderful story and a gem of the season. Um, I just wish they did more like this. I really do. Yeah, me too. Me too. But that's not, that goes against uh, Moffat's big budget sensibilities now yeah 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 i wish he would just do a really he should just do i i mean he'll never do but like i can't wait for like the next guy to come on or or a woman i you know who knows who's going to take over the show but uh i can't wait for the next showrunner because i want i would love like a season of small stories like a whole season of small stories that ends in like a three-part huge finale <laughs> where they just save all of their budget to put yeah. into the finale. Yeah. And it's glorious. just the most ridiculous thing you've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I would love that. No, I agree. And like, and the thing is that like, I mean, Dr. Who as an institution works better on the smaller scale. Like in my mm-hmm. opinion, 
it works much better when it's on a small scale. I mean, and we'll see that in a couple weeks in Pandora Opens Big Bang, where Pandora Opens Big Bang is a it's a vast story, but the focus is very small. And I love that. Um, I love the focus because it gives you time to focus on the Doctor and his companions. And the thing that's interesting about Doctor Who is not the world, but the characters and the situation that they're in. And I think that. Um, I think that this is just one of those, like, this is that taken to an ultimate extreme because the stakes are remarkably low. It's not a very big story at all. But looking at it, like, uh, look at Talons of Wang Chiang. Perfect example. Talons of Wang Chiang, when you watch it, feels like a big story. But the thing about it is it's all fallout from what happened to Magnus Creel in the 51st century. Like, the much bigger story of of World War III and the march of the... Um, march on I- march on Reykjavik or whatever or the uh, the assassination mm-hmm. of the prime minister and 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 like that's the thing that I love about Doctor Who is the remarkable scope that it always goes for um mm-hmm. it's it's so much more fascinating to me than seeing for example a good man goes to war um which I mean yes the focus is there but it's also like trying to be epic in its scope and I don't like that as much well I just think that I think Moffat, from a budgetary reason, Moffat needs to learn that what makes what makes a better Doctor Who is telling the small stories and saving the budget for ones that have to be big, rather than just making a season full of mediocrely sized stories. Yeah, you know. Well, I mean, like, look at look at um, I mean, you and I love the Doctor's Wife, right? It's mm-hmm. like you know, it's pretty good. Um, <laughs> uh, he's understating pro- don't send us hate mail and yeah, give us no, bad reviews they don't even like the doctor's wife uh, no, no it's, it's like a perfect doctor who it's story it's amazing it's ridiculously <laughs> amazing um <laughs> Uh, one of the things one of the reasons the doctor's wife wasn't put in series five was because the budget they had completely wasted the budget and they were like we're gonna save it for when it has a good budget uh, maybe i haven't seen it enough recently but did it need as big a budget as it had? Like, I mean, the CG, yes. Yes, it needed the big CGI budget. But, I mean, beyond that, it's kind of a small story. Like, it's kind of a really small story about one guy and one girl. Um, well, they, uh, I, I mean, they had to build that, they built the hallway set. Well, which is not that impressive. I'll be, <laughs> I'll be honest with you. It's not that big. But they still had to build it. Sure. Uh, which is money. And then they had to build a house, right? Is that what it's called? Yeah. House? Yeah. yeah they, I mean, they had to build that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a junkyard and like, there's a lot there that had to be there. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, I guess maybe I'm, maybe I'm being unfair to it, but, but my point is made. My point, <laughs> my point is made. It, uh, not everything needs to be explosive and massive. And I, I, I mean, part of that, and this is, this might get us mail, but part of that is because I still feel that Moffat's a little ashamed of the show as it was back in the old days because he did. I mean, he previously has called it rubbish. Um, I know that that's kind of been debunked and he's clearly a fan, but there's there's an there's an element to it where I just feel like whenever he's throwing money at it, I mean, he does want it to be the best it can be, but he also feels like, you know, he wants glossy rather than, you know, 
packing crate or shipping crates like in um like in Planet of the Ood. And like compare that to this. Like this is so grounded in reality. Like everything about it is so grounded in the reality of Ledworth and the place that it is that it's it's almost impossible to imagine that happening in a Moffat story now. I mean, I know mm-hmm. they did Planet of Power of 3. But I mean, Power of 3 also went to a really glossy spaceship. Like Power Three mm-hmm. also did a massive set piece in a in a big glossy spaceship, and by massive I mean really disappointing. Um, <laughs> but I mean it's one of those things that kind of sticks out to me, where it's like where it's like no, there's there's a real charm to Doctor Who being made on a smaller budget, mm-hmm. and it takes you to much more interesting places, and you don't have to keep throwing things at the screen. You can just tell a smaller story, and that's like the lesson of Amy's Choice. And it's a bummer that Amy's Choice is not more well more well remembered um, as compared to. Uh, angels or vampires in Venice or um, uh, the finale. Um, and, and, and it's a bummer. It's kind of a bummer. Um, uh, but- you know, now that you say that, I wonder if, because they do have uh, uh, similar emotional resolutions. I wonder if Amy's choice wasn't the series five replacement for the doctor's wife. Yeah, I actually think it was closing time or not closing time. Uh, the lodger was the replacement. The lodger really? was the replacement. Yeah, hmm. because and, and here's why. Here's why because uh, I was reading up on this and uh, Simon and I was approached by the Doctor Who people to do a story in for series four, but his schedule didn't work out, and um, they were going to do the Doctor's wife. And it was going to be like the last thing they shot, but they didn't have the money. And Gareth Roberts was an old hand. He did um, Shakespeare Code and he did Unicorn and the Wasp. And he did have a story about the doctor rooming with some fellow. It was like a comic story in Doctor Who magazine or something. So it was much more easily adaptable, and that's why that was that. This was always intended to be very cheap and very small and at the end of the season when they were out of money. Um, Well, it's just interesting because they – I mean they serve the same purpose in in regards to uh, Amy and Rory. Yes. Yeah. So it would have felt really repetitive. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're like, yep, sure would have. Sure would have. Sure would have. <laughs> oh, absolutely. 100%. <laughs> so uh, that's that's what I got about Amy's Choice. It was good stuff. Okay. Good stuff. All right. Well, uh, next week we've got The Smugglers, which is the first Doctor story, which uh, does or does not exist. Does not. Does not exist. Oh, joy. Yeah, but it's fun. It's pirates. Okay. First Doctor, uh, Ben and Polly. Really weird. <laughs> all right. Uh, and then uh, more excitement with the uh, Hungry Earth and Cold Blood. Yes. Salarians. Yes. Telling so. the only Salarian story that exists, apparently. Again. Ever. Again. Yep. <laughs> There's only one kind. Yep. 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 And yep. this is it. Yeah. I watched. I remember that I watched. The the John Pertwee Silurians and listen to Blood Tide, which is the Six Doctor Silurian story with Evelyn on Big Finish, and um, uh, Hungry Earth, Cold Blood in the span of like three months, and I was just like, man, the Silurians are not that good. No. <laughs> uh, or at least they're ripe for reinvention at the very least, because mm-hmm. um, so far they've only got one thing going for them. Yep, yep, and it's always the same. Mm-hmm. Always the same. Mm-hmm. At least they did something cool with them in uh, Dinosaurs on a Spaceship, which is the best part of that story. Yeah. Yeah. Because that was hard. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. You always do that. Just let things be good. 
You don't have to, you don't have to, like, if I say something's the best part of something, you don't have to always be like, well, that's not hard. It's like, okay, but that doesn't make it any less good. <sighs> I'm sorry. God, you're I'm so cynical. I'm so, oh, God, I'm such a cynic. <laughs> I'm such a pessimist and such an evil, dark person in my melancholy. Um, Just let good things be good and bad things be bad. It's fine. You don't have to compare them. <laughs> That was a good, clever use of the Silurians. Yes, it was. In it was a clever use of the Silurians. And okay. total fan wank. Um, uh, so speaking of bad See? things. See? You can't do it. You can't. You literally are incapable of just letting something be good. Oh, yes. I'm totally incapable of that. Um, uh, uh, speaking of things not being good. Uh, next week, so yeah, next week we're talking about the smugglers in Hungry Earth, Cold Blood. Uh, the week after that, we're going to be talking about Vincent and the Doctor because it's time to talk about Vincent and the Doctor. Oh, and something awful called Time Lash, which if you haven't seen it, features H.G. Wells. Except, does it? Um, and then oh, on the other side of that, Keeper of that Trocking. makes me so sad because that sounds good. Oh, buddy. Oh, oh, buddy. Just wait. All right. So, oh, man. <laughs> uh, and then we're going to do uh, Keeper of Trocken and uh, The Lodger and then Remembrance of the Daleks. Pandora opens the Big Bang. I am psyched for that. Um, I'm actually surprised that we're not doing Keeper of Trocken as like a three-part, two-part, two two-part thing. Because it kind of goes along with like the very next story. Yeah, we can, we can, we can change it around if you want. Well, no, I'm just saying, like, I'm surprised because they go so, because they, they're very much like a, like a utopia slash, uh, you know, a utopia story leading into, uh, uh, Sound of Drums, Last of the Time Lords kind of thing. I know know what you mean. Yeah, I know what you mean. But anyway, we don't have to do that. I'm just saying I was surprised when I saw it on there by itself. Yeah. We're doing enough things in order slash vague order, so. Well, that's fair. I'd figured we'd uh, we'd leave them we'd leave them separate and leave. Can't us... wait for key to time. Oh wait, <laughs> six weeks of madness. Um, uh, and then so on the other side of on the other side of Keeper Trocken, remember oh, remember to the Daleks and uh, Pandora Copa's Big Bang, and then we're gonna do the Abominable Snowmen and the Christmas Carol, which is something I'm really looking forward to because mm-hmm. I love to be the Christmas Carol and Abominable Snowmen is okay. So and then we'll have the Snowmen on the other side of that, and then uh, at the around the first week of the year we'll start off uh, 2013 with the Ambassadors of Death. Ah, uh, so good. Which is your favorite third Doctor story? It is my favorite third Doctor story, and with good reason. That's exciting. Oh yeah, that is exciting. Did oh, you yeah. see that article? Speaking of third Doctor, did you see that article on IO Nine where where uh, Charlie Jane Anders was like, uh, "Come watch, uh, come come watch Claws of Axos uh, at this IO Nine sponsored event. One of the best." John Pertwee stories ever <laughs> made, and I'm like, "Wow, I saw that. That is just." inherently false <laughs> yeah i did i did see i read the title and i was like nope <laughs> it's like wow i don't want to watch that again let alone yeah, actually I, like go out to go see it yikes yeah i can think of like i can think of one story per season that is better than claws of axos in terms of Perway. 
Sometimes two. In fact, all of season seven is better than Claws of Axos. The Demons is better than Claws of Axos. Sea Devils, Curse of Paladin, Day of the Daleks are all better than Claws of Axos. Uh, Frontier in Space, Three Doctors, and uh, Green Death and <laughs> Carnival of Monsters are all better than Claws of Axos. Time Warrior and Invasion of the Dinosaurs are certainly better than Claws of Axos. Even Planet um, of the Spiders is better than Claws of Axos. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ugh, yeah. God. Yeah. Mind of Evil, too. Mind of Evil. So what you're saying is it's in the bottom third of Burnt Wing. Yeah, no, it's, it's, yeah, it is. I mean, it's probably at the top of that bottom third, but it's still there. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. It's not, it's, uh, not very good. Not yeah. Very good. Well, that's what happens when you put Baker and Martin together. Eh, uh, bad, news. bad news. Anyway, all right. So next, so next week, uh, Smugglers and the Hungry Earth, Cold Blood. In the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm Twitter.com/slash Scott Corelli. Also, Scott Commentary, where I live tweet things. Uh, and then you can find uh, Matt and I both on the Mind Robbers, our flagship podcast, where we talk about uh, entertainment in movies, TV. Uh, uh, video games, comics, just basically anything that we have consumed in, in, since our last recording. That's what we talk about uh, on The Mind Robbers. Uh, everything that isn't Doctor Who. So uh, you should be listening to that if you like this. Um, Matt, where can people hey, find you? You can find me on Twitter, twitter.com slash gungadin. Also my alternate Twitter account, twitter.com slash gdcommentary, uh, where I'm going to live tweet Smash Season 2 as soon as it starts. Um... <laughs> oh, buddy. oh man that trailer man that trailer got me like a like a son of a bitch um uh, you can also find me at my blog classicalgallifrey.blogspot.com but not for very much longer uh i just posted um uh, we just posted sunmakers last week we posted edge of destruction last night or the day before uh we're posting mind robber later today uh and i'm planning on having curse of fenric out by friday so we'll see how that goes um i don't know when this is going up but uh it should be yeah it should be up mind robber will be for sure up by the time that this goes up hopefully um and then uh curse of fenric soon afterwards and then next week i think i'm double shooting um uh two doctors and web planet so like (laughs) i'm a blogging fiend right now because i want to be done i want to be done (laughs) with it Uh, I will also plug, and I don't have the information in front of me because I don't, um, but I'm also in a book, actually. I'm published. Oh, yeah, that happened. (laughs) Yeah, as of very soon. Um, It's called, uh, 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 what was it? It's called Outside In, I think, Um, and it's basically a giant book about Doctor Who, and I would would probably plug it anyways. Like, I plug... um, I plug uh, I, I'm running through corridors as much as I can, which is not recently, but mostly because they haven't come out with volume two yet. And I still want to read it. Um, b- but I'm in a book. I'm in a Doctor Who book uh, called Outside In, edited by Robert Smith and notable because <laughs> it's 160 essays, one for every story from Unearthly Child through to the Doctor Who Eighth Doctor movie. So it's 160 essays by 160 different people. It's insane. Uh, I wrote about um, uh, the King's Demons, and it was kind of a modified version of the uh, the entry that I wrote on my blog. But it's oh, which is it's, a fifth Doctor. Right? It's a fifth Doctor yeah. master story with a sword fight. Um, mm. Yeah. So I talked about the master in that. Uh, it's a book that it's a book that honestly, if I 
if I didn't write it, I would still get it. Um, I would still get it, and I encourage everyone to read it. Uh, if you hit me up, I could probably get you like a discounted copy or something. But it's coming out really, really soon. I like it should be out because this weekend is Chicago Tardis, and they wanted it out by then, so it should be out now-ish. Uh, um, why is Chicago Tardis always the weekend of Thanksgiving? Who thinks know. that's a good idea? Who? Know. British people. British people. Ugh. Uh, I'm no respect on- for Thanksgiving. Oh, oh, buddy. You don't have to tell me. You don't have to tell me, man. You don't have to tell me. Just follow me on Twitter. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's called The Outside In. And it's also got like it's also got a bunch of cool people in it. I know that Phil Sandifer contributed an entry, probably based on his own uh, TARDIS Rudatorum. Andrew Cartmel actually contributed something, but I forget what he contributed to. Um, so Andrew Cartmel, the, the one-time script editor of, uh, of the show. Um, and Kate Orman, who is a writer of... Um, uh, New Adventures and Sean Lyon, who's done a bunch of different things, including Cold It's, um, which is a big finished story and a bunch of other novels. It, it's really cool. And honestly, if you if you like the classic series and want to read about it, uh, they're all like really short essays. Like my limit was like fifteen hundred words, so it's very, very, very small. Um, well, otherwise, yeah, that book would be oh monstrous, monstrous. Yeah, monstrous. <laughs> um, but uh, check it out. I'm I'm gonna try and get a link into the show notes. So if you go to the website, you can you can click a link and maybe hopefully find a place to order it or something. But and I don't get any money from this. I really don't. We, I waived my I waived my rights because I would get paid like forty bucks or something because there's 160 of us. Um, so all proceeds, all profits go to like some AIDS foundation or something. So it's really it's not only it's a good cause and it's Doctor Who and all sorts of good stuff like that. So so mm-hmm. check it out. It's called Outside In. It's edited by Robert Smith and it's uh, I'm in it. It's cool. It's cool. Yeah. We should see if we can get a uh, uh, get a copy to give away on the show. Oh, dude, let's do that. Yeah. 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 You should look into that. I'll uh, I'll uh, send an email to my editor. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. All yeah, right. I feel so professional. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, leave send us emails. Podcast at mindrobber.net. Go to the website mindrobber.net. Leave us iTunes reviews, and we'll see you next week with the Smugglers and the Hungry Earth slash Cold Blood. Bye. Bye. Bye.